Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is such a joy to see everybody here this morning. Thank you for being with us this morning as we worship the Lord our God. Today our scripture passage comes from Acts chapter 13. We're going to be reading a small portion of a larger story, but we are continuing this, this series on what it means to be a witness of Jesus Christ. So if you would turn either to your bulletin or watch the screens behind me, we're in your own pew Bible, to Acts chapter 13, we're going to begin in the 26th verse, where we will read this story for, for what God has called us to know and to understand about his witness and how he has called us to be his witnesses in the world. Beginning in chapter 13, verse 26. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, that is Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us as their children by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, this man Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we know that this is your word, that it is completely true, and that it is given in love. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I heard Matt Chandler, who was a pastor from Grapevine, Texas, tell a story about a baptism service that they were holding in his church. Now, there were several people who were going to be baptized that night at this particular service. And part of the process for their baptism services is that the people who were being baptized would introduce themselves and answer a couple of questions about their journey of faith. And it became kind of a testimony. And they would tell about what, why they were giving their lives to Christ and why they desired to be baptized. 
And Chandler said that on this particular occasion, even though there were several other people involved, there were two particular testimonies that really grabbed his attention. One of the people who was going to be baptized that evening was a practicing witch. She had actually bought into, completely bought into the deception of the occult and the new age, which had led her into drugs and to sexual abuse and a variety of other problems. And she told a story about how the love of Jesus Christ had shown her grace and had set her free from the depression and the lies and the spiritual slavery of Wicca. And it was a powerful testimony. Well, then the next guy came up. And this guy who came up next was a college student. And he began by saying that he had grown up going to church. He'd been in church his whole life, but he had never heard the gospel till he was 18. He got lots of social Christianity. That if you went to church on Sunday and if you stayed in school and you stayed away from drugs and eventually got married and lived a good life, that's how everything would work out and you'd go to heaven. He'd been in church his whole life. But then he got into campus ministry and he actually discovered what it means to have a transformational, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, everybody that night was all excited about the witch. And they didn't know what was going to go down here. Was there going to be some kind of open spiritual warfare, special effects, all this kind of stuff? Chandler was like, I don't have a wand or anything. Is this going to go all Harry Potter? What's going to happen here? He says, but while everybody else was focused on the witch, he couldn't get over this young man. He couldn't take his eyes off of the church kid. How is it that this young man who'd grown up in the church his whole life had never heard the gospel? And we'd heard the social gospel of activists and he'd heard about the, ge the generic Judeo-Christian ethic that so many politicians talk about. He'd heard a lot about cultural Christianity and the right way to behave in certain situations. But he'd never heard the real transformational good news of Jesus Christ. And he said, there I was. And I didn't know what to do. We just baptized a real life practicing witch. But I was undone by the church kid who'd grown up around Christians his whole life, but had never heard the real gospel and who had never really known Jesus. How does that happen? Well, over the last few weeks, we've been reading a lot about how the early witnesses of Jesus started taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, the word Gentile literally means outsiders. The first disciples moved out of their own community of the Jewish people and started preaching to outsiders. I mean, we've read, we've read about Philip's meeting with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Or we read about Peter's meeting with the Roman centurion in Acts 10. Or Paul's presentation of the gospel to the philosophers of Athens in Acts 17. And when we talk about witness, we're used to hearing words like evangelism, conversion, mission, new birth. Usually when we think about witness, we are thinking about witness as introducing the truth of Jesus Christ 
to outsiders, to people who are on the margins, who are on the fringes, or maybe even who are completely beyond, completely outside the boundaries of the visible family of God. People who've never heard the gospel before. But today, we need to think about witness in another phase. That is, witness to the insiders. It's what we call revival. Now, what is revival? When most people hear the word revival, they think about old-style camp meetings and loud gospel choirs and louder preachers banging on improvised pulpits under huge canvas tents. Or they think about televangelists and heart-tugging video clips depicting, victor, uh, de- depicting brokenness and then later victory. They think of faith healing and altar calls and people just putting their faith out there. It's the kind of thing that makes us Presbyterians really nervous. <laughs> but what is revival, really? Well, revival is witness to the insiders. It is a witness to the insiders that leads us to a new or a reawakening. You see, before the world became woke, Christians were talking about God's sleepy church being awakened by a fresh blowing of the Holy Spirit. But you may be asking yourself, why do Christians need to hear the gospel? Why do insiders need to hear about salvation? Why do they need to hear about God's love and his grace? Haven't they heard it already? Shouldn't they know about the truth and love of Jesus Christ? Well, the truth is, we all know people who have grown up in the church or in a Christian environment, yet who are still, or who still feel like, or they still act like, they are a long way from Jesus. You know, maybe they're just bored with Christianity. They've been around the church for their whole lives, but they're distracted by all the temptations and challenges of culture. And they just find Christianity boring. And they wonder how this old religion can possibly be relevant today. Or maybe They've tried to be faithful, but they find that Christianity, with all of its thou shalts and thou shalt nots, all of its rules and regulation, they just find its traditions and taboos just to be too burdensome. So if it's not too boring, it's too burdensome. Or maybe they've been burned. Maybe they have sinned. Maybe they misstepped. Maybe they stumbled, or maybe they are just different. They don't look like other Christians they see around them, and even though they are insiders, they've been made to feel like outsiders. And they feel nothing but condemnation from the church. Maybe they want to believe that Jesus loves them, but they're terrified of his people. Because let's face it, church people can be cruel and judgmental. Politics and and mean church people have driven more people from Jesus than the devil ever has. And so people get bored. People get burdened and people get burned by the church. And just like outsiders, they begin to believe that God doesn't care, that he isn't real or that he can't make a difference in our lives. 
And even if they don't externally drift away from the church, they often begin to drift away internally by checking out or just going through the motions to maintain appearances. But as Paul says, there's no life in it. They come to have the form of godliness, but not the spirit thereof. And beloved, hear me when I say this. This isn't a word of condemnation. This is a word of brokenhearted lament. That there are people in this room, in this church, in this extended family, who are bored, burdened, and burned out by the church. You know, you may know people like this. This may describe you right now. I want you to take 10 seconds and see if the Lord doesn't bring someone to mind. Just think about it for a second. How do we share the truth and love of Jesus with that person? With those people who are already in God's family, by birth, by baptism, but who don't feel the power of God's grace or the encouragement of his love or the affection that he has for them inside of them. How do we witness to those people? The Jews were the ultimate insiders of God. They were the people to whom God came through Abraham and through whom God would work his plan of salvation for the, rest, for the restoration of all humanity. God came to, came to Abraham and said, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And God declared to Moses that you are a chosen race, God's own people, a royal priesthood. For what nation is there that has a God so near as is the Lord our God? Wherever we call upon him, he is there. This is how the Jews thought of themselves. And yet 2,000 years ago, the Jews found themselves powerless, oppressed by a foreign empire and overwhelmed by the pagan culture around them. They hadn't had their own country for over a century, and they'd not heard from a prophet in about 600 years. Over the centuries, they had been persecuted and exiled and deported and forced to set up new lives in strange lands. But throughout their history, they held on to God's law, hoping that in spite of the many times they'd wandered from God, and they had wandered from God badly, hoping that in spite of that, that they hadn't blown it. Believing that if they could only come, their failures just by doing a better job of keeping his law, then he would keep his covenant and he would restore Israel. And so whenever and wherever they were, even in a little town like Antioch in the region of Pisidia, wherever they were, there were little communities of Jews that would come together to pray and to read God's word and to hope. And when Paul showed up, this well-known but controversial scholar and rabbi from Jerusalem, they wanted to hear what he had to say. So let's hear what Paul had to say to the Jews and then consider what that means for us. How did he begin? I love this. He started off saying, brothers. 
not former brothers, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. I love it that Paul begins with the announcement that he is going to give them some good news. He's not here to confirm their condemnation, but to tell them about God's salvation. And he began by declaring God's faithfulness. You know, I think one of the worst feelings in the world is the feeling that you've been replaced or you've been forgotten. And the Jews were afraid that they were going to lose their privileged place as God's chosen people. And so Paul begins by saying that God has not forgotten Israel. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. God has not forsaken them. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, said God. But God is doing a new thing. God has kept his promises. He kept his promise to send the Messiah. And through him, he is keeping every other covenant promise he has made. God promised a Savior and he fulfilled every detail of that promise. And through Jesus Christ, God did through them, God did through the Jews exactly what he set out to do. Because what did God set out to do? Through the Jews, he was going to restore humanity. And through the God-made man, born a Jew, the mission was accomplished. That's not something to fear. That is something to celebrate. God's faithfulness is proven in Jesus Christ. But he also talked to them about God's forgiveness. And that was important because there were many times in the history of Israel that the people ignored God's truth, they rebelled against his law, and they mocked God's patience. The prophets are full of indictments of idolatry, of the people worshiping perverse gods of the pagans. And it's full of indictments of corruption, of oppression of the poor, of neglect. Uh, time and time again, this nation that had been so blessed and favors, favored ran away from God and got what they deserved. They got everything that their blasphemy against God's holiness and the neglect, their neglect of the poor and needy deserved. And now, under the boot of the Romans, with Roman idols being brought into the temple, they were wondering if indeed They'd blown it once and for all. As a nation, they had blown it. And as individuals, they had blown it. Would God ever forgive them? Or had they fallen too far? And so Paul declared, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The curse of humanity. Even the failure of the Jews, even God's anger with his chosen but rebellious people is exhausted 
Because God has taken all of the failures of Israel and all of the collective and individual sin of humanity from blasphemy to murder and put it on Jesus Christ. Yes, in the world you will have trouble, and the Jews know that. But those troubles are no longer an indication of God's wrath. They are no longer the scourge of his chastisement. Yes, they will continue until Christ returns. But we have to remember that we are anchored in God's forgiveness, satisfied in Jesus Christ. And then finally, he told them about God's freedom. And by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You see, Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled the obligations of the law that they could never fulfill and that you and I could never fulfill. He has satisfied the penalties of the law that you and I and they could never endure. And so now, you are free to enjoy creation and to enjoy your relationship with the Creator in a completely new way. He is no longer the God of perpetual obligation, but the God of freedom. The law has led you to him, and his covenant is no longer defined by perfection and regulation, but by a relationship of grace. This is God's freedom in Jesus Christ. Now, when I was a young associate pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Charlotte, North Carolina, my former senior pastor and still mentor, Bill Wood, told me never to forget that that beautiful 200-year-old church is not a monument to the past, but a great big limestone evangelistic revival tent. Because God's people need the gospel too. As surely as those Jews in Antioch and Pisidia needed to hear that God still cared and that he had still worked his plan through them, we need to hear, we need to be reminded about God's grace and truth every bit as much as anybody else. Because revival is about reintroducing God's own people to the Father that loves them and that will never leave them nor forsake them. Now again, let me ask you, do you know someone who is far away from God even though they grew up in the church, even though they went to Sunday school, even though they may have been president of the youth group, even though they may be an officer? Do you know someone who is far away from God? Bored, burdened, burned out. Maybe that person is you. How are you doing? Are you missing something? 
Do you feel far away from God? Even though you're here right now? Well, beloved, here's the good news. The gospel is for you too. Not just other people out there. The gospel's for you too. Because the gospel is about your father's faithfulness in Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. That means that you matter to God. He is real. He has the power to make a difference in your life. And he loves you. And he proved it by giving his own life. And by keeping his promise to raise Jesus from the dead. And he's shown that there is no promise that God makes that he cannot or will not keep. If you've been claimed by God in baptism, he will never abandon you. He will never forget you. He will never betray you. Because our God is the God who keeps his promises. And this gospel is for you too because the gospel is about your father's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to blurt it out. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But what have you done in your life when you were a kid last week, this morning, that you just can't shake? What is it in your past, even if it's your immediate past, that you did or was done to you that you just can't get over? Guess what? You have not blown your chance. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What that means is that because Jesus gave everything for you, God loves you like you're his own son. There's nothing that you can do to wash away the blood of Jesus Christ that has been poured over you. There's no sin that can overpower God's desire to hold you in his arms. And there is no hole so deep that God can't find you and no distance so far that you can run, that you can outrun his view from the cross. Nowhere. He forgives you. Don't let whatever that thing is stand in the way of your love, of you being loved by Jesus Christ and knowing it. The gospel is for you, too, because the gospel is about your father's freedom in Jesus Christ. I'll say that too many insiders think that the way to greater freedom is freedom from Christ. But it's not. Greater freedom is freedom in Christ. Anyone who believes that the gospel is more about regulations than it is about redemption, more about rules than it is about restoration and relationship with the living God, is still living without freedom and on behalf of every pastor or Christian that has ever misled you, I am sorry. Because that is never what I've meant to say. 
But unfortunately, it makes a lot of people feel like, yes, we're on God's team, but we're like pro athletes. As long as we are performing, we're good. But when we stop performing, when our numbers aren't right, when we can't run the 40 as fast as we used to, when we are no longer completing our passes, God's going to replace us with somebody else. You know, that's something we put on each other all the time, that if we don't live up to God's expectations, he's going to cut you from his team and replace you with somebody better. But even if you think that that's who God is, the good news is that is not who God is. The gospel is not about what we have to do to earn God's love. It is a declaration of what the living God has done for us. Let me ask you this. Do you feel trapped? Is there something that makes you second guess every decision? Do you feel like you're stuck? Like you're paralyzed by insecurity? Is there something maybe you're terrified people might find out? That if they do, they're going to love you less, that they'll take away what you have, that they'll use it as a weapon against you or the people you love. Maybe some shame or some embarrassment. Well, again, Jesus Christ died to set you free from all of that. No matter what love you fear you might lose from other people, it will never equal the love that your Heavenly Father has for you, knowing everything about you right now. And Jesus lived, and he died, and he rose again to set you free from jealousy, from fear, from insatiable dissatisfaction of lust and addiction, from identity crises and anger and all the things that steal our joy and drag us down. Jesus not only gave his life for every sin that you've ever committed, but he gave his life for every abuse that you have ever endured. You no longer have to be enslaved even to that. He lived to set you free from the pain of the past that haunts your life. Because he lived the life that we can never live and he died the death that we deserve to die so that we could be the people that God created us to be. God does not forget his people and he does not forget his promises. God promised to send help and he did. And all of the promises of the Messiah have been fulfilled in Jesus. So Peter said on that first Pentecost, Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For these promises are for you and for your children and for those who are far away, and all that the Lord calls to him. You know, whatever else repentance means, it means to turn toward him. To turn toward him. You know, if you're feeling far away from God, turn to him now. Turn to him now. If you've been baptized, maybe you've never verbally rejected it, not by word, but maybe you have rejected it by intentionally distancing yourself from God and his family. But understand, even if you've pushed him away or rejected him, he has not pushed you away or rejected you. 
Stop running and turn to him. You know, I know that there are people here right now who have been in this church for their whole lives, who've heard the gospel message a million times, but it never stuck. It never seemed to apply to you. Maybe you've forgotten about his love for you. Maybe it's just more institutional. You know, that's, that's, that's my story. I grew up a church mouse. I wasn't just a cradle Presbyterian. I was a generational Presbyterian. I never had a point in my life where I didn't believe in God. But it wasn't until I was wrecked by events in my life that that relationship went from institutional to personal. And I realized that God didn't just die. Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world. He died for me. He died for you. And he was raised for me. He was raised for you. Whatever your situation is, know this. The good news of God's love and his truth are not just for people outside in faraway places. The gospel's for you. Lord, I know that there's somebody right now who's being awakened. It's being revived. Something has bothered her. And that slumber that the world casts over us is beginning to break. So Lord, right now I just pray that whoever he is, whoever she is, that today you will connect them with the right person who can share with them the truth and the power of Jesus Christ in a way that they can understand it. Let us be your witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen.